0: This is the Pain Information Network 21. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Episode 21, you got me. You got Hanson. Uh, I'm going to talk today um, about uh, Q&A. Your questions and answers uh, have been coming in. Please keep them coming in to paininformation.com. I'll answer uh, some of the more common ones I get, and I'll do it the best I can and add some folks in when I need to. Uh, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick five pretty commonly asked questions, and I'm going to give you my, uh, my take on them. This is an information network. I'm not giving medical advice. You should get that from a qualified individual, but don't hesitate to go to paininformation.com and leave us some feedback. Go to iTunes and please leave us feedback. That really helps us um, rank. And that keeps us uh, visible, and that's important for folks out there. They want to know that the uh, light at the end of the tunnel is not a truck, and pain is daunting. Sometimes they just don't know where to find answers. So we hope to have information and, and just kind of shed a little light on a dark subject. But it's the start of a new year. It's going to be a good year. And so what we're going to t- do is talk about benchmarks to, to open up here. The benchmarks are something I use um, with my uh, practice. It's easy to get stuck in a rut. So I go at three, six, nine, and 12 months with folks because this is a chronic condition. We want to make sure we're making progress. And we're not just medicating. We're not just doing the same thing over and over, month after month. But we're giving reasonable benchmarks so that uh, folks can feel like they're obtaining some goals. So let's, let's take somebody that couldn't even go to grocery shopping. And within uh, six months, we've got them walking a quarter of a mile that's that's real and when we show them that uh it adds a lot of inspiration and more goals are obtained now these shouldn't be unreasonable put put about 5 of them up on the refrigerator and and make it, make it simple something you can really do it's unreasonable to think that somebody's going to go out and do a half marathon in 6 months when they're when they're suffering and they have uh, been sidelined with something like fibromyalgia, we're going to talk about that. So there are going to be reasonable goals and reasonable expectations, and share them. You know, your, your triumphs and your 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 positive uh, benchmarks in life are something that you should rejoice and and really and, and really look at it like this makes sense. I'm doing the right things for the right reasons. All right. Well, let's get to this. Uh, The first question uh, comes from an individual who was recently started on Valium, which is diazepam, that's its generic name, for muscle spasms. This individual had a lot of muscle spasms in their low back and found themselves to be sleepy and forgetful. The question was, basically, uh, is it this or is it something else or should I get um, more of a workup from my primary care doctor or from somebody else? Or what is going on? Well, yeah, of course, you, you should have a medical evaluation. You should be evaluated uh, if you're having a side effect from anything, not just a medication. But Valium is pretty notorious uh, in the benzodiazepine class to cause some sedation and forgetfulness. It, it could be used for muscle spasms. I think that's fine. But it has to be used judiciously. One of the toughest classes I have to deal with as a pain physician and physician in general, and also uh, in the field of addiction, um, which I practice, is benzodiazepines. They're wildly overprescribed. And at a meeting of the American Society of Addiction Medicine that I attended, a very prominent uh, addictionologist stood up and said, there is no place for uh, Xanax or lamb and many other benzodiazepines in American medicine. We have better ways to treat anxiety. We have better ways to treat panic, etc. Now, not saying you should quit them. Oh, no. You talk it over with the doctor. This class, Know Thy Meds, Rule 4, benzodiazepines should not be abruptly discontinued. They have to be tapered. And depending on how long you've been on them, the taper could be uh, fairly lengthy. Um, this is one of those classes of drugs that you just don't get withdrawal symptoms. You can actually have, uh, problems with, uh, neurological changes and even in extreme cases, death. So do not do a few things with benzodiazepines. A, mix with any other drug or alcohol and B, your two, make sure that your, uh, uh prescriber knows every drug you're on, uh, I mentioned in the podcast on uh, electronic medical records that we sometimes can miss uh, drug-drug interactions because we don't know all the medicines that people are on. Talk it over with your provider. Write it down on a piece of paper. Bring all your medicines in in a bag or something. However you do it, Uh, make sure that it's documented what you're on and that the prescriber knows that – your drugs uh, can have interactions. They should be looking for that. So within the category of uh, medications, we have narcotics, benzodiazepines, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, cetera. These are different categories. And rule four, know thy drugs. Benzodiazepines are associated with many side effects, many um, interactions. So your doctor has to know what you're taking, particularly if it's opioids or other central nervous system uh, depressants. Um, alcohol's is uh, forbidden. So, okay, what this person is telling me, they're sleepy and forgetful. Benzodiazepines in general are not particularly helpful in chronic pain conditions. You may feel a little more relaxed, but uh, benzodiazepines can suppress serotonin, which means you could be a little bit moodier. Uh, they interfere with restorative sleep capacity. Patients in pain don't tend to get good sleep. They they stay in what's called alpha two sleep or in particularly uh, fibromyalgia, for example, alpha two intrusion, they just don't get to that deep stage four sleep. That's refreshing sleep that helps the memory that helps the, the good living. They just don't get there. And so they walk around and they can be forgetful from that because the prefrontal cortex just has not gotten what it needs. The primitive part of the brain is not sleeping either. So there's a disconnect there. And we look at things from a neurobiological standpoint, what can you change? Well, if somebody is sleepy and forgetful, and they're taking benzodiazepines, maybe that's the cause. One of the side effects of benzodiazepine is amnesia. In fact, before you go back for your operation, your anesthesia provider might give you a benzodiazepine, benzodiazepine or before a medical procedure. And it's not that it's an analgesic, it just helps you forget these short-acting benzodiazepines like Medazolam, for example. People know that as Versed. That's commonly used. That's how potent these things are. So if you're a little older or you're infirmed or you have a comorbidity, which is a medical problem such as diabetes, Alzheimer's, or something that's just a part of your life, your provider needs to be aware that this probably uh, is in the bag and maybe shouldn't be in the bag. Talk it over with them. Okay? All right, second question. I am I'm gonna get an epidural. And uh the frequent questions about these injections is, well, how long does it last? Everybody's different. What are they used for? Well, they're used as sometimes a diagnosis, a roadmap in case of a nerve block, for example. We've touched on that. Um and they're sometimes therapeutic when we add other agents such as steroids. There is some recent evidence that it isn't necessary to use steroids uh, to get a good uh, relief cycle. That's evolving. So we'll talk more about that sometime. And and what is used? Well, uh, sometimes preservative-free saline, sometimes a mixture of uh, uh, local anesthetic that's special, it has no preservatives in it, and steroid. So the The question is about steroids, is how much is too much? Well, how much is too much depends on you. The other question, Mark, is how much have you been getting through the year from other sources? Did you get a steroid pack when you had a rash or you had poison ivy? Did you get some injections by trigger points? Did your uh, orthopedist inject your elbow or knee? These are, these are important to talk over. So if you're about ready to get an injection, start thinking along the lines, what have I had the past year? More than likely with the small dose of um, steroids that we give in these injections, you're not going to have a problem. However, I have seen injectionists of uh, uh, questionable training. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. They use incredible amounts of steroids that I wouldn't get close to here come the side effects side effects from steroids um, we're going to talk about that it's beyond the scope of this question but briefly if you have too many steroids you can have bone problems you can have weight shifts you can have uh, skin changes you can go top to bottom Uh, the steroids are uh, ubiquitous throughout uh, the human body and therefore they have changes uh, throughout the human body that can be profound But once again, the amount of steroid that we give in these injections is pretty small. It's generally not a problem. Some of the side effects from the steroid might be, you know, you feel like you have a cup of coffee or your face gets flushed. Uh, Some people say they itch. I don't understand that, but they say they itch. And uh, uh, once again, you know, it's individualized. But talk to whoever's going to do the injection about how much steroid you've had that year. It may make a difference. All right, what's the... problems you can get with these injections well of course you have to rattle it off bleeding infection nerve damage stroke seizure death you know you can name all these things that's that sounds horrific that sounds horrible but that's not common Uh, sure with an epidural you can go just a little too far with the needle and get a little bit of fluid leak from the nervous system that's uh, like a myelogram headache we do a blood patch or we take a little bit of your blood and we put it back there, and it's like bubble gum on a on a leaky inner tube, it, it stops the leak. It's pretty dramatic. But um, if you do get an epidural and you get headaches, particularly when you're uh, rising from a supine position or flat position, it's up above your eye, and it's, it just feels funny, um, let, let your people know. Let the folks know that uh, did the injection. Uh, if you have fevers or you have... Um, Problems with saddle anesthesia, or when you sit down and it's pretty numb and, and you're, you're losing a little bladder control, bowel bladder control, you're having problems uh, with your legs are getting weak or something like that. Uh, that's uh, more serious, and that's uh, probably uh, something you should take uh, very seriously with a uh, fairly uh, emergent phone call. So, those things can happen pretty rare when you're using x ray. Doing these injections, um, it's a a, a pretty minimal risk. So, um, you know, the good side is these injections really help. The downside is, as with any procedure in medicine, uh, we're putting uh, needles where God never meant needles to go. So there can be problems, but it's very, very unlikely. So it's a good conversation to have with your injectionist. It's called informed consent. Uh, The injectionist uh, has an obligation to educate the unknowing. And so that individual should be making sure that you know the risk complications and options, you understand it, and there's no no barrier to communication, either by a language barrier or an intellectual barrier, something along those lines, and that you're you're willing to proceed. The contraindication of doing a... Uh, injection is you don't want it. That's the number one contraindication. You don't want it. So if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. There's other ways to treat back pain, neck pain, and other problems. All right. So uh, another common question I get is about allergies. Um, they're allergic to pain medicine. They start talking about all these allergies they have. And interestingly, it's often physician-driven um, from primary care arena or other uh, individuals that don't necessarily have a depth and rule for not really understanding that most opioids cause a histamine release. A histamine release will make you itch. That's not an allergy. That's a side effect. And usually a little Benadryl or thyme clears that up. Now, on the, on the flip side, yeah, you can have an allergy to all these medicines, and you might be really sensitive to histamine. So um, if you start itching a lot, but you know, you're, you're okay with a little bit of Benadryl or something like that, after you talk to your doctor, um, that's fine. I mean, these, these medicines can be very helpful. They can help improve your function, your quality of life, restorative sleep capacity they are very helpful um, to get you going and i mean getting you going into physical therapy and that sort of thing no one's going to be successful in physical therapy if they hurt and it's it's often an odd uh and curious uh, conversation i have when i hear a patient was told to go to physical therapy for their excruciating back pain first yeah there's a role for physical therapy for certain things at certain times But it's not going to go well Uh, if somebody is hurting a bunch and you're putting them through a lot of maneuvers or um, uh, certain uh, modalities. um, It's better to get the pain under control. All right, so no, that's not necessarily an allergy. It needs a discussion with with a good care provider that understands these medications, and I mean understands these medications, and that it isn't necessarily the pill causing the problem, it could be, um, uh, depending on what the agent is, it could be the associated uh, um, uh, drugs uh, that uh, might be used as preservatives and the like. All right, that's, uh, that's, it. that's a whole discussion to have with, with a uh, very qualified and trained provider because I would hate to have your options limited With misunderstanding of side effect versus uh, allergy versus uh, non debilitating complication that can be worked around. All right, so next I have fibromyalgia and I've been told to exercise. Here we go again. I hurt too much. What do I do? Well, fibromyalgia is not a disease, Uh, it's a group of problems, it's a syndrome. It's irritable bowel, chronic fatigue, migraine headache, might have pelvic pain, muscle pain, the fibro five, I call it the fibro five. Um, it's it's a central nervous system problem. I've been saying this for years and years and years, back before it was trendy to call it that, because it was obvious to me, and it's obvious to anybody that treats pain. When you have a group of problems, and they're migratory, and they they are so uh, uh, diffuse, um, that it's more likely a pain from the inside out as opposed to outside in. In other words, it isn't necessarily the muscle that hurts. Yeah, your muscle feels like it hurts, but it's more than likely a referred pain from a central nervous system source. That's a problem. Uh, So when you're doing physical therapy or if you're doing massage therapy or whatever it is, and you're going into these, quote, um, muscle knots, uh, people people always tell me they have knots, I can't feel them. Uh, but other people feel them. And uh, they get them massaged with very deep techniques and and aggressive techniques. They're fine for a little while, but they hurt the next day, of course. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. These are peripheral manifestations of a central nervous system problem. In other words, you're treating outside in when you should be treating inside out. So fibromyalgia is a whole different um, podcast, and we're going to do that. I do suggest you go to fibromyalgia.com, that's another one of our sites, and uh, we are starting a fibromyalgia podcast uh, sometime this this year, and you'll be updated on that as well. So the core of the question is, what do I do? I hurt too much. The answer uh, is finding a relief and that relief is not necessarily an opioid. I would think that most people that treat fibromyalgia think opioids are a dead end in fibromyalgia because you want to treat inside out, and you don't just want to uh, throw a band-aid on the problem. So what do you do? Well, you talk to your pain provider or, or your primary care doctor about gabapentinoids, or you talk to them about uh, other drugs uh, that work from the inside out in the s- central nervous system, and some have actually been labeled for fibromyalgia. See, it's what I'm talking about. When the FDA labels a drug and they understand the root mechanisms of that drug from a neurobiological standpoint, they uh, apply a indication. So duoxetine, that's another one, uh, and uh, Pregabalin or Lyrica, that's another one. Uh, And the other gabapentinoid that's been used uh, for years is uh, gabapentin or otherwise known as Neurontin uh, or the newer one, uh, Greilis, which is a pharmacokinetically long-acting agent, a 24-hour agent, um, a very good alternative. Um, Well, you're working it from the inside out. Um, So... Let's let's get some of that pain under control. Uh, let's uh, try with range of motion activities. Some people think that um, stre- stretching and uh, uh, some light massage or maybe some uh, help with the stretching really really works. Some people like heat. I think uh, you can get in a little bit of trouble with the heating pad. Uh, you can actually see modeling skin in the low back. We see that a lot. So watch the use of heating pads. Some people have tried topical medicines. I'm not real sold on that. Um, might work, um, but really thinking from inside out. That's not necessarily opioids. We have other options, and they're FDA approved. All right, disclaimer. Um, I do a little bit of work with the uh, company that makes um, uh, uh, gray leaves. That's called Depomed, but I believe in the drug. It's a good drug because it is gabapentin. All right. How long does uh, does it take to become an addict? I'm sorry I hear this question too. Um, people think if they take an opioid, they're going to become an addict. That's not necessarily true. Be- becoming an addict is a very unique process. It probably has a genetic predisposition, has a neurobiological Uh, Component, And we're going to talk about that in pain, addiction, depression, or PAD. That's going to be a podcast. It's where I'm going to link pain, addiction, and depression. They're all the same thing. Neurobiologically, your brain doesn't think any differently uh, within one um, described state or another. Uh, So you're not necessarily going to become an addict. But what you could become is dependent on the medicine over time. If you take an opioid at a fairly robust dose, um, you talk that over with your provider, and you take it regularly. You shouldn't stop it abruptly. You should be weaned away. And that's generally not a problem. Um, You shouldn't worry about it becoming an addict. If you're using these medications appropriately under the watchful eye of an appropriately trained uh, care provider, you're going to be okay. You're going to become maybe dependent. You're going to become maybe a little tolerant of them, requiring a little bit more of a dose over time. But you're not going to be, become an addict. An addict, pretty much by definition, if somebody uses the drug uh, despite they know, they, they know it's going to harm them, they're just going to use the drug. Why does a heroin addict uh, inject with a dirty needle? Um, it, it's because they're thinking on emotion and not logic. We tend to think on logic. Your care provider does as well. So they'll be watching for side effects, misuse, abuse, and we hope not a a diversion, but it does happen. And they're going to – they're not calling you an addict if they're getting concerned. What they're doing is they're uh, doing their job, and they understand Rule 4. They understand these medications. Um, And – that's a whole that's a whole another podcast that I have a lot of fun talking about pain, addiction, and depression. okay, well, uh, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up these five questions We talked talked a little bit on the surface here. Uh, we're going to go into much more um, depth on fibromyalgia, pain addiction, and depression and in, in follow up uh, episodes. so get us some more questions and we'll get them. Uh, uh, we'll get the information to you as best we can present it, and um, let's make this a good new year.